Coming to you direct from the heart of New York City all the way to wherever you are, you're listening to The VIP Jazz Wall Report. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be talking about how the millennials have been feeling neglected from all the banter that's been going on among the presidential candidates. Based on research, 86% of millennials feel that these presidential candidates have ignored them. So the theme of this show is going to be, do we give a damn or should we give a damn about what the millennials think and how they vote? Well, to discuss this point of view, I have Mr. Justin Dent, the co-founder and policy director at Gen F. KD. Now, Gen FKD is an organization that communicates about everything relevant to the millennial generation, but I'd rather let my guest explain more accurately what it is. So welcome to the show, Justin. Vip, it's good to be with you. How Thanks are you doing, son? We're doing great. Tell me a little bit about yourself and Gen FKD. So, sure. So I'm Justin Dent, and as you said, I co-founded Gen FKD in my second year of university. You know, I realized that the world was really complicated and this world of politics in the U.S. was really difficult to understand. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I spoke to a lot of my peers who were struggling to find work and struggling to understand why they were out of work. Uh, So I took it upon myself to start an organization. And what Gen FKD does is we kind of look at the world around us and try to explain it in the most easy way, in the easiest way, Mm -hmm. uh, to the average student, the average recent graduate, who doesn't have the time to wade through all of these policy documents, to read all of these reports that are really just jargon and impossible to understand. And so we take that on and try to show millennials what the opportunities are, why there isn't a lot of opportunity necessarily, and really just advocate for millennials where nobody else is advocating for them. So you're really simplifying all the politics that happens in, in D.C. and the policy. Exactly. We have a team here at NFKD. We look at the world around us right, and try to explain that uh, in easy terms that the millennial can get in 8 to 20 seconds. You know, we have a short attention span. There's no hiding that. You right. know, we live in a digital era. So we really take it to the millennials where they are on campus and online uh, and make it bite-sized, make it easy to conceptualize and to understand how to move on with that information. Now, now I love the, the name you guys give yourself, Gen FKD. I get the Gen. It stands for generation. <laughs> but FKD, correct me if I'm wrong, that's an abbreviation for the profanity itself, right? It is. We, we <laughs> tend to say that it's financial knowledge development, but it's hard to hide the fact that mm. as a generation – uh, we are an abbreviated profanity uh, when you look at the numbers and look at our place in society. Uh, so we kind of play with that in both ways. And, t- you know, we students and college students like you to tell them the truth. They right. don't like you to hide. and We're not hiding. So why do millennials feel that they are FKD'd in America? You know, when you opened the show, you spoke about that number, 86%. Mm. And I think that really tells you uh, that nobody's speaking to millennials the way they need to be spoken to. Uh, last December, you know, we saw the unemployment rate come out, and that was at 5% for all Americans. The average unemployment rate for young Americans was 11.2%, and nobody's talking about that number. And since 2008, the, num- the unemployment rate has been four to six points higher for all millennials. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at a situation where we have less employment and less opportunity 
than those around us. And we see all the news and media talking about how much better the economy is, how good you know, Barack Obama's been good for the economy and for jobs, but we're not seeing that in our day-to-day opportunity. You know, we're talking about students who graduate with an average of $30,000 in debt. Mm-hmm. Think about that for a second. I take on $30,000 in debt, but can't get a job that pays me 25000 It's It's hard not to feel like you're FKD. So you're saying that within the millennials, there's an 11% unemployment rate. Is that right? Correct. Okay. Correct. So that's one in every 10. Correct. Almost, thereabouts. Uh, is that the highest it's ever been? Well, in 2008, it was much higher. It's reached, it's gone, the highest it's been uh, is 15%. Right. Um, but where we are now is even those who are employed, uh, the, you have 44% mm-hmm. of graduates who are working in jobs that require no college degree. And that's the highest that number's ever been. So students who go to college, pay to go to college, are now working jobs where they don't need a degree. And that is a historical and record-breaking number. I also said in my introduction that you feel, or the millennials feel, that the presidential candidates, um, none of them really addressed the millennial community. What, what's really your beef with them? You know, we have so many issues affecting us, right? Mm. This jobless numbers that we were just talking about, this 11.2% and the fact that 44% of college graduates are working in jobs where they don't need a degree and for, you know, kind of wasted their money then, we, those are problems that we want to hear about. We want to hear how these candidates, how Bernie Sanders how Donald Trump, how Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio are going to solve these problems. Mm -hmm. It's politics. We get sound bites. We get snippets of these, but no, nothing of substance. And, you know, these candidates spend a lot of time talking to the older generation, you know, and that's because of those who, those are the ones who turn up to vote historically. But if you speak to us about the issues we care about, we're going to turn out and vote. When we, you know, when we were spoken to in 2008 by Barack Obama, we turned out in the highest numbers in history, in American history. And in 2012, we turned out. And in 2016, we're now going to be the largest voter demographic, the largest group of eligible voters. Okay. So we can really move this election, but they have to speak to us about the issues that matter to us and not just say we're going to fix it. But show us how you're going to fix But in their defense, don't you think in their first round of speeches, these presidential candidates, they have to address what's wrong with the country as a whole and, and, and also use the opportunity to speak, to build a sort of brand of themselves uh, to the audience. You know, they've been talking about the economy, terrorism, jobs, health care, issues that affect all of us. I mean, they haven't isolated really any one single community just yet. So are you expecting too much too soon? I don't think so. I think when you look at where the crisis is, mm. when you look at that the largest generation right now in America has an employment crisis, that means a lot for our economic growth, for the ability for everybody to get a job, and to share in this idea of a prosperous America. If we are able to put millennials back to work, 
think about how much stronger the American economy is going to be. You can build a great vision for America around this idea of putting our young people back to work and giving them the skills they need to build a better economy. Mm. When you look at it right now, there are more re- people who are, should be retired having to work because of what happened in 2008 and not being able to afford to retire, mm. right? But if you put millennials back to work, we can create opportunity and expand the tax base so that we don't have these long, sustained problems and economic, ste- you know, economic stagnation. Right now, the economy isn't growing as fast as it needs to grow, and part of that is because millennials haven't been part of the equation of making it grow. So ideally, what do you want the presidential candidates to say or to speak to when, when addressing the millennial generation? That's a good question, Vip. I think that we really need to sit down and look at programs that are specialized and targeted towards youth. Right now in America, you have what some people call a skills gap. And what that means is the companies that are able to hire and want to hire young people and really people of all ages aren't able to hire anybody because we don't have the skills that these companies want and need. Can you give me an example of skills when you say skills? Sure. So software engineering, Hmm. right? Huge skill. Uh, Everybody now knows about these apps, right? You can go on your iPhone and download an app. Uh, Your computers run on software. You know, we're, we're living in a technological revolution, right? And I think you can see that all around you. And these companies are amassing massive amounts of technology, mm-hmm. but need help building it and making it larger and making it grow. But we don't have the skills and the engineers we necessarily need to help those companies grow. But don't, aren't these so, available at school? They are available at school. So why aren't the millennials doing that? That's a good question. But what I think it starts, it starts really earlier, right? If you don't have um, a good foundation in math and science, and even if you look at literacy rates in America, Mm -hmm. they're really low. We are at the bottom when it comes to Western countries compared to Europe, even even some countries in Latin America. We rank lower in math, literacy, so on and so forth, that's why a lot of these companies, even Facebook included, Twitter included, Uber, the ride-sharing app, are looking to bring in immigrants from other countries Mm -hmm. to help them build these technologies because they can't go to the community college down the road or the university down the road and find students who have these skills. So it starts a little bit even earlier than college because if you don't have the math you need or just you're not ingrained or taught to think that way, you're going to have a really difficult time getting those concepts in college. So since you know what the gap is, does then Gen FKD actually communicate to its audience that you need to start building your skills rather than identifying what you don't have Start training yourselves and, and so that you're ready and better equipped for the market. Right. I, I completely agree with you, Vip. And Gen FKD 
spent a lot of time trying mm. to do that. We have programs across the country where we go to students, we talk to them about the opportunities that are arising, where the economy is going, and how to get involved with that. Mm. But GenFKD is only part of the equation. We need politicians, we need government to look at starting that even earlier, because in some ways we can be too late. You know, we're talking to students who are already in college, and we can help them move forward, but we need politicians and the government to talk about what happens before and what happens right now. And there are a lot of ways to do it, and I just don't think we're having the discussion we need or we deserve as both millennials and as a country to get that done. Okay, I'm going to come to opportunities and the entrepreneurialism later. Uh, but let's finish with the candidates. Um, let me ask you a personal question. Who's your favorite candidate, if you have yeah, one? That's a, <laughs> that's, a, that's a hard question. You know, it moves back and forth. It's hard I for me, I tell you, because it's like a circus of clowns. I know. It's ridiculous. You know, this is a, the 21st century. We should be having really good discussions, and it's just a lot of noise. Mm. Right? So who's uh, caught your eye? Who, you know, somebody that I've been paying a lot of attention to, um, particularly on the Republican side, has been Marco Rubio. Is that because he's young? Starting... In part, it's because he's young. It's hmm. nice not to have somebody with gray hair standing on stage. No offense to anybody that has gray hair, but it's nice to see somebody that we can resonate with and shares in the problems that we have shared in. Rubio, in one of his announcement speeches, talked about how he had more than $100,000 in student debt. That's something that millennials know. That's something that hits us at home because it prevents us from getting a car, from paying our rent, so on and so forth. Hmm. And Rubio has really looked at, uh, and during his time in Senate, proposed solutions to the student debt crisis that don't mean free college for everybody or everybody gets a handout at the risk of the economy, but really looked at making it a free market-based or inspired system you know, really innovative, really innovative. And I think that's what we're missing in government and missing in politicians is innovation. And this idea of moving outside of the box and looking at models that work. Um, you are know, you asking too change. much? Are you asking too much of politicians? Because you talk about innovation and things like that. Isn't that left to the free market? I mean, politicians historically and globally do nothing but policy. Right. You're but really asking have, for a new style of revolutionary leadership that's really never I'm existed not, yeah, before. Yeah, I am. I'm asking for 21st century leadership. Mm. We're in the 21st century. I think it's time we move beyond the same system of politics that we've had since we were founded as a nation. Mm. We can use the technology that we have. We can use the fact that we've seen where politics has failed and move forward. We all need to move forward as a country, and it really says a lot, you know, if we're sitting here talking about our politicians are looking like clowns instead of leaders. Mm. Where are the leaders? Well, on the Republican side, you said Rubio. Right. Who's caught your eye on the Democratic side? On the Democratic side, I think everybody is looking at Bernie Sanders right now. He has my eye, but not in a positive way. Why? I think... He's been talking a lot about student debt, and that's important, right? Mm. Like I said, Rubio has had and addressed what I think are some positive ways to address that problem. Bernie Sanders has gotten the attention of a lot of millennials 
But if you look at his proposals, this idea of free education for everybody sounds good and well, but ends up, from all of the reports that I've seen, hurting the economy in the long run because you're reducing our growth, you're reducing the taxable income of individuals, and we need something that doesn't just attack student debt, but attack student debt as a way to grow the economy, and you can't do that if you're also bringing it back. Hillary Clinton has also advanced some solutions, but in a lot of ways they look more like a Band-Aid on the problem. They're not innovative. They're not groundbreaking, and I think that's why you see the fact that Hillary's having a problem with millennials because she seems like that same old politician you were just talking about, Vip, who politicians have always characteristically been, you, not willing to take any risk. You mentioned something. You said you're not a great believer of free education. I'm not a great believer of free education at the expense of the whole economy. And I think what Bernie Sanders' platform is based on is this idea that everybody should go to college, right? That sounds good, and that's something that my parents worked so that I'd be able to do, and a lot of my other friends' parents, and, you know, a lot of people have worked hard to send their children to college. Mm. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. But yeah, but someone's got to pay for it. Is, hmm? But someone's got to pay for it. Someone's got to pay for it. But also, we can look at the, we don't all need to go to college now. This is a skills-based economy. There are really interesting and innovative companies right now mm. who are exploring ways to give education and skills without me having to go and sit in a classroom for four years and spend $30,000. I encourage all of our listeners to look into a company called Udacity. They provide for-profit education online, mm. but with a guarantee that you'll be employed within six to 12 months after taking one of their programs. Mm -hmm. And they do things like software engineering, data science, marketing, very, and on a very skills-based level. You know, Marco Rubio said something in the first or second debate, which was, we need more welders, not more philosophers. I don't necessarily agree with the idea that we need explicitly more welders, but we need more coders than philosophers. We need more innovators. We need, you know, we need more people who can drive this country forward, mm. and you don't have to go to college to get the skills to do that. In your experience at, with the Gen FKD and obviously um, with the millennial generation, there's often been a lot of debate that questions sort of the values and morals of the millennials. Uh, it's a frequent topic here at Fox News and at other news channels. Um, break it down simply for me. What are the three values that are held very strongly to, to, uh, for the millennial generation? Sure. I think it's social impact and social good. Most millennials want to be... So is that la-la land, social impact and social good? I don't think it's impact. The millennials, I don't think it's la-la land, excuse me. More millennials now mm. volunteer than any other generation. You know, we're out there picking up trash. That's because you don't have jobs, team. right? That's because you don't have no, jobs. No, you're talking about people who do have jobs going mm. out and volunteering. And when you look at surveys on what millennials want in a job, mm. it's they want to give back. 
They want to they want to give something back, and you know millennials don't necessarily have a whole lot of money to give back right now. Right. But still, we donate almost more than any other generation, as a not in the dollar terms, but in the number of people who donate. We care about the world. We care about the climate. We care about our neighbors. We care about education, mm-hmm. and we know and we see, unfortunately, I think that government isn't doing anything or is to advance the common good, mm. so we take it in our own hands. You know, we're, the, we're the ones who bootstrap. A lot of people say we're lazy. I th- it's a lack of opportunity and it's a lack of foundation. You know, there are going to be lazy people. Sure, there are some lazy millennials, right? There's no doubt about it. Yeah, people say that to me, and I've actually not seen many lazy millennials in, 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 in your defense. Um, I think just... Because with technology, things like that, you know, time management changes. It evolves also. So you do what's important at the right time, not at our time. Right. You know, I mean, we might um, get up early, but you guys sleep late. Right. We sleep late and we, and we probably stay up later. Right. You know, it's, we, we're on a different schedule. It's a different generation. But a lot of the millennials I've spoken to, you know, when they're doing a lot of their um, charity work and volunteering – um, a lot of it, because a lot of them are unemployed, they're doing it to build up their resume, not because it's a belief system. But what you're telling me is actually quite a revelation. Yeah, I, I think it is a belief system. Does capitalism sometimes? Pardon? Does capitalism or its belief, the raw capitalistic nature of America, its historical element that's led to its growth, does that play a very important part with the millennials? Without a doubt, when they I, love money. You know, when I'm in when I'm in college, mm. I I don't come across one person who doesn't believe in entrepreneurship or doesn't believe in the what Silicon Valley represents. That doesn't believe that they can do it themselves. It's harder now, I think, in a lot of ways because we don't always see the bright side because we see a government and a system that doesn't promote us or that doesn't give us jobs. But there are a lot of students and a lot of graduates and a lot of millennials who realize that and say, I'm going to make my own job. And I think, you know, and this comes back to the value system of social good. There are lots of students, I have a friend, Hunter James is one of them, who saw this problem in millennial representation in politics Mm. and saw that we didn't vote well or we didn't vote enough. So he made an app. The, the app is called Voter. And it's if, for anybody who's heard of Tinder, where you swipe left or swipe right for dates, this one you swipe right and swipe, swipe left on politics and policy. And it shows you which <laughs> potential cool. candidates you can vote for or align with what you care about. Mm. So we're using the tools that we have to create good and create profit. So profit is of value. Profit is for value. We work, we work for social good, and we do work for money. I, there's, no, there's no doubt about that. Okay. Well, let me ask you. Was Obama a good candidate who appealed to the millennials? I, I think Obama, regardless of how one feels about the policies he's enacted while, mm. while his presidency, was a fantastic candidate, and he knew who to target, and who to speak to. Mm-hmm. And he really was one of the first candidates 
to use social media effectively. And that's going to millennials where they are and talking to them in their language in a way that responds to them. And candidates have to do that if they want to get millennials out to vote. Mm -hmm. I'll be very frank with you. I think that there are a lot of candidates who would be happier if millennials didn't vote. Hillary Clinton's probably one of them right now because of how much Bernie Sanders appeals to millennials. But that in of it, that isn't a reason to not talk to millennials who are a part of this country and are an extremely important part of this country's future. Okay. You are, so to speak, the children of our generation, yeah? Without a doubt. Um, and a lot of you believe that the institution of Social Security is almost bankrupt and won't exist when you reach retirement age. And this was one of the things you and I were talking about the other day. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and here was my point of view. I'm closer to retirement age, and there is very little I can benefit from Social Security, right? But I don't see why you guys are worried about your Social Security because you still have time to fix the economy and bring back Social Security to where it should be. So when, when millennials talk about the concern for Social Security, is, is there a pattern here of the millennial trait that, you know, what can the country do for me rather than what can I do for the country? I think when, when you look at that conversation, there, there are two reasons millennials are concerned. Mm. One, we're paying into a system that we probably won't get anything back from as it stands. Just the way that Social Security works, there aren't enough, there aren't going to be enough people paying into the system by the time we reach our parents' age, mm. right, to give us the same level of system. Secondly, you know, Vip, your generation is still going to get Social Security because the way our government works now is they're just going to go in debt more to be able to pay you what you, pay, what you paid into. You'll get a little bit less than what you paid, but you're still going to have some kind of system. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we're going to have any system if politics stays the way it is, and if we do, it's going to be a system that has this burdened in debt. But we already have so much debt, and I'm not talking just national debt, but student debt. You know, we have $2.1 trillion in outstanding student debt. I think you're going to see a generation that is scared and nightmarishly afraid of this concept or idea of debt because we already know the burden of it so well. But, you know, the student debt, I mean, in all fairness, you know, um, students live in a bubble because at the end of the day, all they know is their university life. Yeah. I've been there, done that, and, and when I was, you know, uh, their age, that's all that, that was the only responsibility I had. Um, but I came out of it because obviously, you know, I w did whatever I could to repay it. It, it. You know, one of the problems that might be, uh, how can I put it, well, um, that's not really considered is, you know, in my day, uh, information, you had to pay for it. Mm. Whether it was an encyclopedia or a magazine. In, in your day, you guys are blessed because you don't know anything else. Information is free. Mm -hmm. 
you know, whether I want to cook something, whether I want to build something, make something. I, even if uh, before I buy something, I can go on YouTube and have a and, and, and type in, you know, uh, unwrapping this product or That's this product thing. review. And, and I get, you know, hundreds and thousands of reviews on it from different people. Uh, I don't have to go and, and, and test a restaurant to know if it's going to be good. I go on to Yelp and, and you know, if everyone's saying it's good, 99% it's going to be good. And, and, and that's where I find there's a little dilemma in, in the concept of being troubled with student loan. Because in, in, in our day, it was a given. You have to pay for knowledge. You have to pay for information. You know, that, that's a good point. That mm. I think, you know, student debt has been around for a long time. Right. It was around when you were in school. It was around when all of our parents were in school. Mm. But what we've seen with student debt is that interest rates, right, so how much we pay on top of the debt we already have mm. has gone up. And so let me ask you this. If you were president, how would you resolve this student debt issue or a student loan? Debt's already going to be there whether you're going to be there or not. But new student loans, what would you do that's different? Because you, like you, you and I both believe, you, school should not be free. Yeah? Right. So right. what would you do? I would increase the opportunities for out-of-school training, right? I would increase, I would reduce this idea that you have to go to college in order to be successful or to get a good job. Mm. What you see in Germany, where they offer a free education, right, which is not what we believe in, but they have a parallel. They have another program that's mm. very strong that focuses on apprenticeship, on skills training. They pair students or young workers with companies who teach them the skills they need to know to move forward. I think America and the U.S. could use such a system where everybody doesn't feel the need to go to school or go to college right. just to get a good job. When you see that happening... Like a vocational-based training, almost. Exactly. Exactly what it is. Right. And when more students have that as an option, mm -hmm. or more workers have that as an option... You know, not everybody's going to be running to college. Right. So the free market in us, colleges are going to reduce their prices mm. to make it more competitive, right. to make that piece of paper worth more. Because right now, and what a lot of people are saying, is that the college degree mm. is the equivalent of a high school degree. You have to have it in order to get a decent job. I don't think that should be the case. I don't think that every student should feel the need to go in debt when they don't have to. I think you create an other opportunity, you bring the cost of college down naturally, not by regulation, not by taxes or any other mechanism. Mm -hmm. You let the schools decide to bring it down on their own to encourage more students to come, and then that piece of paper becomes worth more. And, you know, and then we see what happens. But I think that you need to have a strong other program and not have colleges as the only option to a good or decent future. Because, Vip, like I said, 40% of, 44%, excuse me, of people who graduate from college are now working in jobs they don't need a college degree for. Right. So they paid $30,000 for that information that they're not using. 
Okay. That's a waste. Well, earlier on, we were talking about opportunity and the entrepreneurial spirit of your generation. Um, I would argue that millennials have actually never had it better in the history of mankind. And here's where I'm coming from. You know, uh, there's a wealth of opportunity more than ever. In, in my day, to do well, I, you know, I had the options of choosing a few professions. And they were men- medicine, dentistry, engineering, or if I was really stupid, accountancy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, in your generation, there's actually no discrimination on any form of labor. I mean, these days you could be a global success just by being a chef. You know, you could have restaurants, books, TV shows, and, and make millions. Now, in my day, if I told my parents I wanted to cook for a living, <laughs> uh, I'd get beaten up, the police would come home, and then the police would beat me up as well. So, you know, you guys have the blessings and, and the opportunity of following your passion. We had to follow a profession. Uh, in fact, you know, we gave our children, people like you, the opportunity to do whatever you want. And, and You're right. And, uh, it's, that's, a, that's one of the greatest opportunities mm. we have as a generation is this idea that we can pursue our dreams in any field. We are allowed to be creative, mm. you know, and that's something that technology has allowed us to do because there are so many different ways and platforms for me to get myself out there as a chef, for me to put, my, can put myself on Instagram and become an insta-celebrity, as they call them. Right. Now, you know, I have questions about the, the productive value in that, but if that's what you want to do, you can do it. And that is a very American concept. If you want to do it, you can do it. And then even in terms of, you know, the entrepreneurial power of your generation, never has there been a greater degree of entrepreneurs ever. Um, And let me put this into context. Um, Back in the day, if I wanted to get funding for my business, I would first have to show a profit if I went to a bank. These days, businesses get valued for billions of dollars before they even show a single dollar. I mean, you look at Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat – um, they haven't made a profit, but they're valued at billions. In my day, if I wanted money, I would get lenders. In your day, you have investors. People lent money to our dreams. But in your day, right now, people are buying into your dream. You know, you, you guys sell a dream and a vision. You get billions for it. We had to sell reality and actually physically make a profit before we could even get a visionary to finance it. You, you guys technically have it easy. Well, I don't know if it's easy. Mm. Right? Times have changed. And I think that's what technology has done is it's shown, and with all of these different technology platforms, and I think you know, kudos to your generation who are the ones allowing us to live our dreams through the money you're investing in us, see that technology is a, it's a, prog- it's a progression. Mm. I'm not going to be able to make it right now. You know, Facebook, when it first started, didn't have any ad capabilities, couldn't make any money. It was just there to connect college students to college students. Mm-hmm. Now, they make billion, a billion dollars in advertising. But you had to make the, you had to build the platform first, mm. and then the money came in. 
And I think that's how we're going to see technology. Well, Facebook work. is one of the few. I mean, if you look at Instagram, uh, you look at Twitter, they're still like, making a loss. Well, Instagram now, because since Facebook bought it, is actually turning a profit on ads. Hmm. Twitter is one of the is a is a you know case study in what not to do, and has you know in part it's because Facebook has been. But you see, so you successful. see the you see the tendency of your generation that less seems to be more. So now it's turning a a profit, and everyone's like you know heaving a sigh of relief. Back in my day, if I had a business that was bought for that much and we're just turning a profit, I'd be hung and strung. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, I'm glad you didn't try. <laughs> um, th- that's the irony of it and the beauty of it. Yeah, you know, and you know, this is the millennial in me. I'm going to say it's a beautiful thing mm-hmm. and that it gives us time to see what we can build. When I'm not worried about getting the profit tomorrow, it's I like going on a blind date and someone telling product. you, you know, it's like going on a blind date and someone telling you, oh, don't worry, uh, that person's got a great personality. <laughs> <laughs> don't open your eyes, but just listen to them talk. <laughs> Who but, knows? Maybe that's where dating's going now, too. But um, what opportunities exist as of now? Because Obviously, we've been talking hypothetically a little bit about expecting too much from the political system. But what opportunities presently exist right now for the millennials that they can take to heart? I think there there are still a lot of problems in society. Mm. We've been talking about some of them, right? Millennials, because of the system we're in, because we have grown up in a world and economy with investors that will invest in us mm-hmm. can look at those problems and make a solution to them without having to worry about if it's going to bring me money immediately you know and that this conversation might be different in five years if we look back and see a startup bubble and that's possible and we have to be aware of that but I think we can really look, it, particularly at this government space, which is something I'm clearly interested in, mm. um, and see how technology and innovation can improve that and improve the lives not only for millennials, but for all Americans. Because there's yeah. a lot of work to be done. And I do find with the millennial generation, rather than you know, treating you guys as a diverse community or a victim of diversity... One of the traits I do find with with you guys is um, a strong sense of being ideological, uh, an element of being philosophical, which when you bring to my generation, we actually then make it practical. So we fund your ideas in in, in helping to make this a better world. We are ideological and we we believe in the power of progress. Mm. But you ain't got no money. (laughs) <laughs> we, right now. You is right broke. Now. We broke. Right now. Mm. You know, and, that, and that's an unfortunate part. And you know, that's why you see close to 50% of, Amer- of American millennials now don't believe in the American dream. So while we're optimistic, there are a lot of us 
who believe in the power of entrepreneurship, believe in pulling our bootstraps how we know, right, and think that there's a brighter future, there are a lot of us who don't. Are you guys entrepreneurial? Are you guys entrepreneurial because somewhere along the line you all believe you are all leaders? You guys don't like to be followers. You all want to be the employer. You don't want to be the employee. I think for some that's a part of it, but Mm. I think a lot of it had to do with growing up after 2008. So our first – I was in high school when the Great Recession happened. Right. And from that moment, when we saw our parents getting laid off, when we saw the unemployment numbers going up, we realized that the economy wasn't going to be the same as the one that we grew up in and that we were going to have to hustle, right? The millennial hustle. Mm -hmm. That's what we do. And we are fortunate that some millennials hustled and built companies like Uber, TaskRabbit, Airbnb, these platforms that let us use the skills that we have, the resources like our car that we have to make extra money. And so I don't, millennials aren't worried about working. They'll work two to three jobs mm. on these sharing platforms just to get by or to create or to fund their passions. And that's the great thing about our ideology is that we'll work, but we have to do something that we believe in. And I think that's where a lot of employers have difficulty with millennials is giving them work that they can believe in. We're, yeah, are we spoiled? Sure, because we grew up in a good time, in a good economy, and we mm. saw what could be. So we want that. That's not a bad thing. especially. But is that a real part. thing? I mean, a lot of, um, you know, I've had a few millennials work for me, and, and they're always telling me what work should be given to them as, as opposed to what work they need to do. Uh, and, and that's always a very interesting scenario, and I put it politely. Uh, <laughs> you know, so uh, there is that expectation that, well, I've come from university or I've had this experience and I'm not going to be doing these sort of tasks because they don't add value to me. That sounds great uh, if they were to write a motivational book, uh, but they're working for me, damn it. Uh, you do what I tell you to. <laughs> and uh, um, so there's always that sort of, it's very interesting. Um, I've, I've had a lot of millennials I've seen through my social network. Uh, they're still living with mommy, daddy. Yeah, they are. You know, we, uh, the survey that we ran here at JetFKD showed mm. that millennials have the hardest time paying for rent. My heart bleeds for, for you guys. you have the hardest time paying rent you know you're right that's a problem that all americans have right but it's when our youngest generation can't move out of mommy and daddy's house Mm. and mommy and daddy can't rent that on airbnb that's a problem for all of us right right? and we need to figure out how because rent living in america in the 21st century shouldn't be the deciding factor in how you live your life. You Mm. shouldn't have to be worried about paying your rent bill. We should have enough job opportunities and good paying job opportunities where we can have a good quality of life. And that's what millennials want because that's what all Americans want. And you're right. We're not the easiest to employ because we're a different generation 
of employee yeah. and we're loud and we speak up and that's probably why you know a lot of the millennials who are working for you might not still be working for you uh but it, it's a learning process and you know we're coming into you know we're coming into the professional workforce at a time where a lot of our friends are creating and starting their own company and so we're still going between the old world in a way not to say that you're old vit but and the new world and we're balancing those two and we have to grow into that and that's what maturity is uh and you know we're not mature as a generation just because we're so young so we really have to see where that goes yeah i agree i don't think your uh your generation's mature but then that's not your fault you have to go through life to get mature but i think you guys are very informed and i think the divide the dividing line that separates my generation to yours is we operate from a what is scenario rightly or wrongly you guys operate from a what should be scenario rightly or wrongly correct we're the generation of questions i'll say yeah and and rightfully so because you know if you don't have questions you don't have progress right. and 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 talking about progress let's go back to uh what you and I were talking about the political tendencies what do you think of the current state of politics as an industry it's broken <laughs> i would invest in it uh, i don't think any investor uh, worth a grain of salt would invest in it either mm. because as politics if you think about how can it, you make a change if you don't invest in it well and i'm talking in purely in a in, i wouldn't put money into it right? no, no i'm talking was, about like with a in your generation do you have members of 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 your generation who strongly believe in entering politics creating that change taking it from oh, the sure. grassroots level to sitting in congress certainly i think what i was saying is that if you looked at it as a company mm. it would be a company that was broken and that wasn't organized and mm. couldn't get anything done right but if you look at us we're the activist investor mm-hmm. if you will that person who wants to change it and wants to radicalize it mm-hmm. to make it better and i think there are a lot of millennials who are excited to do that we just have to give them and show them that that opportunity exists and we, you know it's going to take a few of us to break the mold right but Our... i think if you look at the energy in this generation yeah it's there are is your generation skeptical of the way politics is conducted in terms of having two parties and things like that certainly millennials don't believe in institutions mm. we we believe in religion less and less and we believe in the two party system less and less mm-hmm. you know we were talking about how millennials identify as conservative how they identify as liberal right but really if you look at it 51% of millennials are a mix or you know and this is self identified so right. they say that they're a mix of conservative and liberal and we don't think of i don't think of my my friends in a you know who are a part of a different party in a negative way because i know that it's more about the issues they believe in mm-hmm. and less about the party they identify with and i think that's where you see a big difference between millennials and older generations because we're much less concerned about whether you're a republican or you're a democrat right. the majority of the majority of millennials are so are social liberals and 
economic conservatives. Well, we almost come to the end of the show. Um, Justin, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, how can people get in touch with you so they can beat you up? <laughs> well, hopefully they won't beat me up too much, but uh, they can always get in touch with me and my organization mm. uh, at com. That's G-E-N-F-K-D.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and any of the listeners are always welcome to shoot me an email. Uh, that's Justin at genfkd.com. That's very brave uh, of you. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, uh, and you can always beat me up through there. Thank you so much, Justin. Thank you, Vip. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Your comments and your follow are so very welcome on my Twitter account at Vip Jaswal and my Facebook page, The Vip Jaswal Report. A special shout-out of thanks to my wonderful team, William Sanchez and Rick Buser. I'll be back next Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern. Until then, I wish you a wonderful evening tonight with your loved ones. And until next Sunday, have a productive and a very happy week ahead.